All right, guys, welcome back to the Adam Peter Fitness Podcast. Today on the podcast, I have Chloe Lansing. Um, Chloe, for those of you guys who are not aware, is like one of the strongest powerlifters in the entire world. On open powerlifting, she is ranked on, according to your bio, top 35 all-time by dots, and she has moved up several weight classes, actually, during that time, and really has just been dominant in basically every single um, weight class that she's competed in. Uh, she basically uh, also is very good at competing both wrapped and raw. So, um, you know, those are both different skill sets. Um, and basically I, I remember, so my, my friend, Sarah, um, I think like she, I mentioned, I like saw like you like, like yourself for posts or like some mentions or you guys were coached by like the same guy. And I, I remember following you and I was like, holy crap, this chick is like really jacked. And like, she did us a lot. And like, so like, I don't know, like, that's why I started following you. And I'm kind of just scarred, you know, I just feel you're going to be cool to have a little bit of a conversation, talk a little more about your background. And so I was like looking on, so online, I was like, I can't find anything. So I um, wanted to basically interview you a little bit more. So thank you so much, so much for coming on. Did I miss anything about you that you wanted to maybe bring up? No, I think you covered it. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited to talk with you today. For sure. So um, I guess just like getting started, um, it's like, I guess like as a kid, did you ever like, like what drew you sort of to, to powerlifting? So I was not in, okay. I played like AYSO soccer when I was a kid, but other than that, I did not pursue sports in high school um, or college. What drew me to powerlifting was there was a point in my life where I thought I had to run to be in shape. And I was absolutely miserable. I was not eating a lot. Um, I was running because I thought that that was the only way to achieve like the body style I wanted. And then when Instagram, I think it was when Instagram first came around, I started seeing images of CrossFit women and I was like instantly in love. I was like, I'm, I like that muscular body type. That's what I want to do. So that led me to starting to lift um, just kind of on my own at, at the college gym I was at at the time. And then I decided I wanted to join a more serious gym that like revolved around strength training. So I found the Anvil Gym in Cedar Rapids back in 2004, no, 2013. So you're from, from Michigan then? I'm in Iowa. Iowa. So Iowa, yes. Mid Midwest, so I'm, I'm originally from like, so I was oh, born in like in like Detroit, but like Midwest all kind of like runs together. They all, yeah, all the states kind of like look the same when, 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 you, when, you get, when you get down to it. So um, I think like one of the things I stood out to me there is that you were like always tracking sort of that the more muscular like feminine build. Um, and like I guess like that's pretty counterculture to girls to like what most women like sort of like. Like, did you have like any influences that may have like you know made like made that more attractive to you? The um yeah, it was a CrossFit woman that was like really prominent at the time. I, was her name I don't think I remember it right now, but she was really prominent. Uh, she had six pack abs and I was like, I love that. Like, why am I trying to be skinny and like get a thigh gap? I'm like, that's what I want to look like. Yeah, no, I, I think that that's awesome because I think that especially nowadays with the, the social media day and age, we see a lot more women that are like embracing that part of like, hey, like you can't actually like really muscular and really yeah. strong. And like, that's actually like still feminine um, mm -hmm. because especially because, um, you know, most people, you know, you, sure you go into gyms and I, I'll go into like commercial gyms and train. I'll see more of a woman like training and really embracing strength training. Um, and that's been like, um, really, really cool to sort of see that it's sort of become a lot more accepted. It's still, it's a little more counterculture. I think yeah. a lot of women are a little more afraid to, um, eat because of, you know, some social stigmas, but, um, mm -hmm. 
do you ever have like any when you were sort of coming up and you were embracing this and strength training do you have like any um people that were a little bit like were like very supportive of that or sort of told you like oh you're getting like too strong like that's, stop yeah. it that's actually funny because so when I first started competing, I was uh, in the 123 class. I was not big then. I'm about 5'5". Five five. So 123 is too small of a weight class really for my frame. But when I was in the 123 class, I remember some like distant family members commenting on, you're looking big. And it's funny because I'm probably, what, 30 plus pounds heavier now. Um, so it's, it's just, it, it's funny to see um, like the shift that we've made as a society I think thanks to like social media where women like wanted to be like small and shrink themselves to now as you said it's more acceptable to be uh to lift weights to not be afraid to eat and like take up space yeah I, I think that that's a really important thing because like so like you know just you know I come from a history of like having you know anorexia as like an eating disorder and so like I understand a lot of that like that you're like oh, like be small and like how that can really affect like it's a psychology and like for me like the reason why I fell in love with powerlifting so much was because like that was the sport that taught me like hey like there's more life than just like being small and it actually feels like really really cool like being strong and knowing that like it's like a cool party trick it's like you know have you seen those memes where it's like they don't know I can fall yeah it's like yes. that's how I feel like it's like they don't know that like these legs can deadlift 7-eleven yeah. like it, it's kind of fun I think that's probably like sort of like something like you sort of feel right like yeah. because um what are your best numbers again um so it, it's been a while since i've competed um i've been struggling with staying healthy but my let's see when i competed at 148 in wraps i totaled 1300 that was with a 512 squat 242 bench 545 deadlift and then when i competed in 148 sleeves that was a 457 squat I think that was also a 242 bench in like a 523 deadlift. Of course, so I love how like every single powerlifter like remembers the exact numbers. It's always like so yeah. funny. Like, 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 like you work so hard for those, right. for those um, goals. And I, one of the, my favorite posts of yours, you have it pinned on your profile, is showing like you started off like you weren't very strong. Um, no. Like you were like below average, actually. Um, so like what sort of was like your like, like what was your desire to like just keep getting stronger? Because like I think a lot of times people we see lots of times, you know, for example, like Bob Matthews, um, you know, first all on the scene, two years, you know, adding like a hundred mm -hmm. dots points and starting off like a little high, like yeah. fours dots. Um, but like, you know, you were a good example. It seemed like John Hacker just like, just slowly climbing up. So like, what sort of was like driving you to, to keep training? Like, do you have a vision for yourself? Did you have like this unwavering belief that you would be, be strong or was it just like for fun? You know what, when I started as a 123 lifter, um, so like, my first meet, my dots was like 360 at 123, which, yeah, it's not very good. That was in wraps. Um, I I did not understand like what potential I had. I just knew that I loved training and eventually I came to love competing. So just like the passion for that is what kept me wanting to build and push myself. Yeah, so regarding that, um, I think that's a big shift that people have like later on in their training career. It sounds like that was a little more like immediate for you. Like, yeah, because I loved it. Uh, as soon as I started lifting, I was like, I've been missing out. Like I wish I would have started sooner. Um, but it was it was an immediate love. And I knew that 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 this was going to be part of my life. Um, I remember at the time I ha I was working like some customer service jobs and I was always trying to find a job that would let me keep my training schedule. 
Um, so that, yeah, it's just been an important part of my life ever since 2013. Yeah, I think that's actually one of the things. So, um, uh, so I'm coached by like Eric Bodmer and like the strength, the strength athlete. They have a good podcast on what sort of separates like more advanced people from like more like beginner and intermediates. And the, uh, one of the big things is that like training is not negotiable. It's like everything in like your life kind of does go around the gym because like, you know, the reality is that if you want to be really good at something, you know, people like talking about oh, be, be being balanced and whatever. I'm like, it's, it's, that's really not how life works. Like if you don't want to yeah. be really, really good at something, for example, like I always find it so funny is that people like be, be balanced. I'm like, you work 40 hours a week. Like that's not balanced. Yeah. Um, and like, if you really want to be, um, you know, good at something, you do have to devote yourself and have like a lot of time spent with that. Um, and I think you're a really good testament of that consistency over time and really just chipping away at that, mm -hmm. at that progress. Um, so you mentioned that you had some, you know, you're dealing with some, some injuries like right now. Um, like, was that something that was like only happened like recently as you gotten like so strong or is that something that happened like all throughout your training career? It started, oh, we're going to go back like a couple of years. I want to say 2021. I partially tore my right quad and that took me, that was during prep for the showdown too. That took me out of that meet. Um, so that took a little bit to rehab. And then this past winter, I was training for the ghost clash too. I, something happened with my adductors. I didn't tear them. It was almost the best way to describe it would be like a tendinopathy is extremely painful for me. So like I would try to squat and I couldn't without like tears in my eyes. Yeah. So that I had to pull out of um, Ghost Clash 2 for that. And I've had like some like little tweaks along the way, uh, like pecs, uh, sometimes I'll strain those. But the biggest one, uh, biggest ones were partially tearing my quad and then whatever uh, flared up with my adductors this past winter. Yeah. Um, and it was that something that you is like only like recently been an issue then with your injuries or that's like something that was sort of like all along, along the way that I feel like that the injuries started coming up as I was getting stronger. Um, so it, it wasn't for the, like the entirety of my like quote career. Um, mm -hmm. just as I got stronger, that's where the challenge of, okay, now we need to stay healthy. Like, like, what do we have to do? Some prehab? Um, do we have to look at like reducing volume on certain days? Ex like, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So Obviously, it sounds like, you know, it's, it's going to be pretty, pretty frustrating as a competitive athlete and knowing that you're so strong, still you're, you are better having some things come up and, uh, you know, interfere with that. Like, for example, I deadlifted to 700 pounds for the first time last year, and then I got, I tore my, my lat and I couldn't deadlift really for like three months. And then yeah. when I came back and like, I was like the first time I could go above like the like mixed grip, like without straps, like I went from like six, I went from like 640 at like an RPE 10. And, like mm -hmm. that's like pretty, um that's pretty defeating. Um, and like, I was like, well, like I, like I taken me over like a year to just feel back to like where I was. Um, what, like what's sort of, it's really hard dealing with that, especially knowing like, you know, you, you made progress, like what has sort of helped you sort of still stay driven. It's like, you're still training, you're still getting after it all, all, all the time. Um, I'm, I'm assuming because I know that it's for me, it's like, it's just something that I, I do. I, I just train. It's not, it's not a question. And I love this stuff, but like, what is it for, for, for you? The same thing. Um, I love it. I understand that there are going to be ups and downs in the, the journey to getting stronger. So I've just kind of um, embraced them. It, you know, like you said, it is crushing because I think I was like four weeks out and I was like, oh, I'm not going to be able to compete. 
Um, so to have that taken away from you is never uh, fun, but it's just, honestly, I think it's part of the sport when we're pushing our body to its limits, like things are going to happen. Yeah. So my, my, my question is that you are super lean at 148 still. Um, have you considered moving up to like 165 maybe? Because I found that lots of times like for, for myself, like, you know, like, I'm like 192 right now. Like it, it's like I get way more sensitive to like little things. It's like no yeah. reasons. Like this is stupid. Um, do you think like you know an eventuality is going to, you're going to have to like move up to like 165? Is like even if you like water cut down to 148, like I mean John Hat tore like he's like tore like his claw like every time he can cut that much. Yeah. Um, yeah so that... when I was prepping for Ghost Clash two, when I ended up hurting my adductors, I was I was going in um to the 165 class because right. I had put size on. And I think I was waking up at like anywhere from like 163 to 167. So I had made the decision that, hey, you know what, it's time to take a break from 148 because um, in the years prior, I had spent so much time being lean that it really started to affect me. And I think it was playing into uh, the, like some of the injuries. And you're like, you're still like really lean at like 160, <laughs> like, like, hopefully, like, you do not know that. I, I know, like, you know, like, some people, like, like, once even like shredded, shredded, you're like, oh, I'm just lean now. I mean, I'm not that lean. Like, you're, you're still like really, really, really lean. So, with your nutrition, um, what does that look like? Um, right. So, right now, I do my own nutrition. I have worked with someone in the past, uh, Justin Oliver, who's really good. He's based out of Ohio. Um, right now, my focus uh, is getting like at least 300 grams of carbs on training days. I back off a little bit on rest days. Um, protein is at least one gram per pound of body weight. And then my fats are, I think like the minimum, roughly the minimum requirement, maybe slightly higher. So I think that's like what 0.3 grams per pound of body weight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So, um, I do my own nutrition and then I am pretty good about keeping cardio cardio in my routine um i get 10,000 steps daily like that's always uh, that's that's another non-negotiable for me i'm always trying to get movement in and then right now i am on the bike for like 15 to 20 minutes anywhere from 3 to 4 times a week so i love that you brought up that you do cardio and you get actually at the end because i think one of the main limiting factors a lot of people have is if there's such powerlifters, you know, we could be the whole stream is like, don't do cardio. It's going to like kill your gains. Like don't move at all. And yeah. I found like the exact opposite because people don't understand like the main um, energy system used when you're resting and recovering is the aerobic metabolism. Right. Like, that's like, that's in like really shitty shape. You're man, you're going to have a hard time just like recovering and, and getting stronger. Yeah. I think cardio is beneficial. Uh, I think it helps my recovery as long as I'm not like, you know, you can't overdo it obviously, but uh, it, like a, certain amount of cardio is only going to benefit you as as a power lifter mm -hmm. yeah so with like with your athletes do you make them do um formal cardio right now i don't i do suggest that they get like some movement in or let's say like post meet uh i have them take a week away from the barbell sorry my dog just decided that's okay. zoomy time <laughs> we like we like that's that's fine she can do zoomies on on screen if she wants <laughs> <laughs> terrible timing what is your uh, dog uh, so I have two English bulldogs, which they're supposed to be like couch potatoes, but they, one of them is, they usually they are, but I, apparently it's, it's playtime. Um, uh, what was I saying? Something about, oh, uh, you were talking about oh, athletes and cardio. Oh yeah. So like, I encourage them to get some movement in right now. I don't program in like specific cardio, like getting on the bike. Um, I'd say like 
the most cardio that I put in a program right now would be maybe after a meet. Um, I have them take a week away from the barbell. I, I don't even make that optional. I'm just like, you guys are taking a week off the barbell. You're going to do like maybe some sled drags and just move your body this week. Yeah, that's something that um like I've learned that for myself, like I need to take at least like a week after like my meets to um not touch the barbell because like, you know, it's like, especially when I was like, more like, I think it's funny. It's like, if I had a good meet, I'm like, I'm more fine with it. <laughs> I was just like, I didn't have a good meet. I'm like, uh, okay, yeah. I'm like, insecure just right now. Right. Yeah, like people want to just jump right back in and hammer themselves in the ground if they have a bad meet. And I'm like, that's probably one of the worst things you could do. Just like take the week off. It's good for you mentally and physically. Well, plus, I think sometimes it's like sometimes you just have a bad meet. You know, sometimes like, you know, you have a great training cycle, but the meat just sucks. Like the meat yeah. isn't like one of the things I always have to remind my athletes is that like, number one, especially like <laughs> first time athletes, like the first meet, I remember how it was for me. For me, it was such a big deal. I'm like, if I don't do well, I suck and I'm never going to do the sport again. Um, <laughs> but then like I've gotten like more meats under my belt and just like, it's actually, this is a really, I like talking about like sports psychology with more of advanced athletes. I think that's one of the main things that changes as you get to like, so basically you understand like, like the, the skill of training better, how to approach your training sessions. Mm -hmm. Like, are you understand like more like what meat prep actually is like? And for myself, like, I just kind of learned like, Hey, I can just have a really shitty meat because like sometimes it just, it just be like that sometimes. Yeah. Um, and, or and other times like, and I have a great training cycle or other times like, I have a really bad training cycle like when I hit 700 pounds, probably like one of my worst training cycles on WWE ever. And I've still got that. Whereas I like one of the, my, my last piece is like one of my better ones. And I, I just shit the bed. Um, so like going around like meet day, like, like what sort of goes into that preparation for you, like going into it? So that was one of my first challenges I'd say as a power lifter, um, since I really did not have a strong background in sports. I was terrified of competing on the platform and I think I had at least three meets where I just like turned into like uh, a deer in the headlights when it came to squat like I would just forget what I was doing um, and I took that really hard at the time because that was like 10 years ago I was younger and I was kind of like uh, putting a lot of my self-worth into like how I was performing um, so for me to overcome that, I used a lot of visualization and honestly, even journaling, I would write very specifically like what I wanted, um, the like how I wanted my meet day to go. Uh, or if, if I was having like a heavy training day coming up, I would sit down and write what I wanted that to feel like. Um, and I would also like take time to like close my eyes, picture it. Uh, and that was, that was a game changer for me. So I still use a lot of visualization um, for training and then also in meat prep. For so can you go a little bit more into like what that visualization, what that visualization like specifically looks like for you? What it's like for me? Yeah, because like I know some people, it's like they're very much like they really picture like everything down to like, this is like what the smells are going to be like. This is like what I'm going to feel like, et cetera. Yeah. Like as yeah. other, as other, other, other people like visualization is just, just like I have a meat and it's going to go how it goes, you know? <laughs> Yeah, mine's a little more, a little more detail with detail. Um, so I will close my eyes. I'll either like sit up straight, um, or I might be like laying down. But I will literally go through like warm ups in the warm up room. Um, so okay, this might be a little weird. Sometimes I'll look up the venue so I know what the venue looks like, and then I can visualize that in in my mind as I'm doing this. Uh, so I will go through like how I want warm ups to feel. Um, and I kind of like put 
the intent of like, this is fun. This is going to be a good day. And I picture going out onto the platform and how the bar is going to feel in my hands. And then I, I want it to be automatic on Mite though. Like I don't want once I'm under the bar to be like literally thinking about every movement I'm doing. So visualization helps me to make the the movements just be autonomous on, on Meet Day. Yeah, I, I really do relate a lot to that because we're most like, you know, I think it's so normal as number one. I always tell people, tell people if you're a little bit nervous, like on a meet day, like number one, like nervousness and excitement are kind of like the same thing. So I started like reframing. I was like, oh, I'm excited. I'm not nervous. Yeah. Um, and then also having like lots of positive self-talk about like, yes. I'm going to I'm going to have fun. Like you like, like, like you said, I'm going to feel strong. The weight's going to feel heavy on my back, but that's okay. It's supposed to yeah. be heavy. That's what, that's, but that's yes. what the sport is. That's um, an important one. Yeah, that's one of the things I also I wanted to talk to you about after this because that's you know uh, I should just do it right now. Like I remember, I I remember like I would freak out every now and then. I'm like, oh, this weight feels heavy, mm-hmm. and I'm like, that's not how it's supposed to feel on meet day. It's supposed to still feel heavy, like yeah. and like you know that a lot of times like I struggle with it a lot on squats because squats freak me out. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas like bench press and deadlift, I'm like whatever, it feels heavy. That it's supposed to whatever. I, I don't freak out about it. And one of the things that I just really had to like remind myself is like, number one, that's the purpose of this sport and um, reframing it to like, it's okay. That feels heavy. I'm strong. Yeah, I'm strong. And that's one of the big positive affirmations I tell my clients is like before they go on the platform or um, in training, it's like, yeah, it's heavy, but you're strong. Mm -hmm. It's okay. Yep. Just because it's heavy doesn't mean you can't do it. Yeah. Because I think people always get like, like going around like meet day, like, Peaking is definitely, it definitely is a thing. It definitely mm-hmm. does help you, but it's not this magical thing for like 99% of the lifters. You, I know everybody's had that one meet where, you know, holy crap, like that lift was like really easy. I had no idea why it was, it was significantly easier than I was, I was expecting. And that's awesome, but you can't like really plan for it. That's and um, I, yeah. So like, like in your experience, actually, because like, I've only had like, I like one meet or squat felt really peaked. This last thing was like bench was like really peaked. And then deadlifts were really peaked at like that one, one other, other meet. Like for most of your meet day experiences, like have you really, really had like any sort of like big peaks or like what's sort of like meet day look like for you? Um, I remember when I competed at Hybrid Showdown uh, at 148 in sleeves when I told 12, I think that was my 12.23 total. My squat that day felt amazing. Like my first warm up just like was, at, or not my first warm up, sorry, my first attempt um flew up as it should but like it kind of surprised me and that was one of those days where I was like yeah I know I'm gonna get what I want for my third attempt today um that sticks out to me the most well also maybe when I competed at Kern I think that was like two months after hybrid showdown um my squat I had a terrible day with squats because I got in my head uh is that a big meet and um that day I knew I wanted to attempt the all-time the what was at that time the all-time um world record squat but I cut depth on my second and then when we still went up for my third attempt to attempt the world record um I just it was one of those things where I got in my head but as the day progressed I was like okay we're here let's make the best of it I can still um get a pretty big PR total um, so bench went really well. And then moving on to deadlifts, I knew I had to pull 545 for my third attempt to get a 1300 total, which is what 
I at least wanted from the day. And I was able to do that with like some ease. Uh, the head judge at the time, like kept me holding at lockout for like a good four seconds. But like, that was just a memorable moment where it's like, okay, I decided I was going to hit this total today and I made it happen. Yeah. I think that's awesome because like you said something really important there about like, you know, you could have let that one miss, you know, that really, you know, not good squat um, just affect the entire meet. I know Steffi Cohen's talked about how she used to have really bad, like performance anxiety and you know stuff, stuff like this, like that. And I find it's interesting because I think a lot of times we kind of look at like high level lifters like like yourself or like oh well, they're infallible like you don't feel like you need these emotions like i had a post even about this and like everybody you look up to like you feel the exact same shit you do we get tired right. we have self-doubt we get motivation the difference is that like we just know how to deal with it right yeah i i remember reading that post i was like this is really good because it's so true we think um like the people that are stronger than us don't have the same issues that we do but we all struggle with the same things whether it's doubt um yeah yeah and that's one of the reasons why i love doing like this podcast it helps me like not only like my, my audience but, like myself connect to like other people like, like, we're, like we're all like i find like you know we're all very, very very similar like we all have like certain like reasons like why we started or like certain demons or mm -hmm. whatever that sort of like basically make us click um i think that's like you know really really valuable because like every person that you know especially like coaching has taught me this we, we all humans we all have our own stuff and like nobody's like you know, infallible. And I think that's just important to just remember that is like, hey, you know, it's okay like to not have good sessions. It's okay to not have meets that go that go, go your way. It, that's just a part of the learning process. And then what matters is that you just keep going and you keep trying your best. And you know, you under like you're also like not like blindsided when things do get hard. Right. Like right. Yeah. That's what makes it so like rewarding. I think that's probably like one of the reasons like why that meet stands out to you so much in, in your mind. Yeah. It I I tell the lifters I work with too, like it's it really important to not let a bad training session or a bad meet um, like make you doubt your ability because that's just going to happen. Like like you said, it's part of the process, those bad days, bad meets. Mm -hmm. So I want to go back to what you said about, you know, doing like more high level meets, how that got, got in, into your head. Um, but Bryce Lewis actually talked about this on a podcast with Dave Tate very very recently about how like that's actually like one of the like one of the things that he noticed is that as you guys got better at powerlifting it seemed like everything that he did on prep and everything as a powerlifter seemed like a lot more in, like consequential and it progressively be, like became like less fun to him as he has he, he progressed um what have you noticed has been like the main differences if, if any in like how you approach you know really everything your, your nutrition your, your sleep your recovery um and like how consequential like each session feels Going yeah. up to like like a, like a big meet versus like when you're just doing like local meets. Um, that's a really good question. So now, like as I've progressed as a lifter, I put uh, a lot more attention to detail in like my eating, my sleep. Um, and if I'm in meat prep, I'm careful to not overdo like outside activities because I know that that's going to uh, impact my recovery. I wouldn't say that for me the that having to like sacrifice maybe some like, I don't know, nights out with friends or something like that has made the sport less fun. That personally doesn't bother me. It's just, it's part of it. Um, if like, if I want to do well, then some sacrifice is going to have to happen. Mm -hmm. But yeah, yeah. I've like compared to what, 10 years ago, I, I just pay more attention to all the details, eating, sleeping, 
Mm -hmm. And so like when you're traveling for a meet versus like competing like like locally, like so like what have you found like goes goes into that? Because I, you know, I've got something I've never personally done. I've only done like mm -hmm. like local meets. Like, what are some big tips that you have for, for people who are looking to like you know, maybe maybe it's like their first like more like national level meet, like and they're traveling yeah. for it. Like, what are some things to do to like really make sure you're prepared for that? Um, so I've had let's see, I had to fly to California for Kern, and then I've also gone down to Florida for a few different meets. I I start my like packing list a few weeks out from the from travel so that I can be super thorough. I can double check it. Um, so that helps me because that's like something I can control, make sure I'm taking all the right equipment. Um, and for me, I have not had to like cut a lot of weight, like water cut. I, I just won't do that. If I'm competing at 148, I'm usually walking around at 153 by meet week. Um, so I, I don't have like any solid advice as far as like, if you have a major weight cut, what to do if you're flying, et cetera, because I would just kind of slowly, um, eliminate carbs over the week. And then I'd be on weight by, um, weigh-in day. Okay. Yeah. So basically just like planning and planning ahead and just like being yeah. aware of like, like, like how early would like to usually like show up. Oh yeah, that's a good question, especially if there's like a time change. Uh, yeah. So when I went out to California, I want to say I was there two days before weigh-ins, so that I could adjust a little bit to the schedule, like the time change. Because um, I think it's a two-hour change from where I'm at, and then Florida, like a day, because that's only one hour. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so cool. planning ahead to get there early is is beneficial. Yeah, cool. And it makes a lot of sense. And then, like as you've gotten like. Do you find that those high level meets are they are they more fun for you or like are they more stressful or how do they feel? Uh, they're fun. And I had an interesting conversation with uh, one of my the lifters that I work with the other day. She had competed at I wouldn't say it was like a local meet. It was it wasn't a huge meet, but it was it was sizable. Um, she found that a lot of the people at that meet were kind of like. I don't know if I want to say catty, but not as, as welcoming as they could have been. Whereas any of the big meets that I've gone to like Kern or like hybrid showdown, um, everyone in the warm up room is there to help each other. Even though like money is on the line, I have not had any encounters with anyone that was like shockingly negative. Everyone there is like fun and ready to help each other uh, succeed. Yeah, that, that's such an important part about the sport, you know, and that's one of the things that always it makes me sad. You know, I never heard of like one of my, one of my lifters going to meet and like you know people have been you know really catty or you know a little negative, but like I think that one of the awesome things about the parallel thing is that you, you kind of know like well if you're stronger than me then you're gonna win. <laughs> if right, I'm stronger right. than you then you're gonna win. Whereas like bodybuilding yeah. it's kind of just, just like you know well uh, politics and less and it's a subjective sport versus like objective i think there's also like a lot of respect among competitors at that level too because you know what sacrifices go into it that makes sense yeah yeah so i've always had positive experiences at, at the bigger meets yeah i mean honestly i, I tell like most of my clients like like most of my friends like now like my best friends that come from powerlifting meets and and the powerlifting communities i think that it's just a, it's a person that i can actually like relate to because like people don't like, you know, like most people don't really understand what it's like to like have like eat the same foods most days and mm -hmm. have like the same like wait times, the same meal times, whatever. It's just very like random. And I was like, everything that we do is sort of structured. And one of the things I've just really gotten away from from you is that 
everything that you do, there's like a purpose behind it. You know, it all kind of leads back to, 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 to the sport. And I think that's a really excellent message to anybody who really wants to maximize their potential in this sport in particular, in particular is that if you really want to be at a high level, like you need to make sure that you're taking care of business outside of the gym so that you can take care of business inside of the gym to make those sessions as, as productive as possible. Um, if not, you know, it, you're just not going to really see where you can go, like what your mass like potential is. And that's what drives me personally is okay. like, I'm just obsessed with like seeing how freaking strong I can get. Yeah. Like getting, I know I can get lean. I, I know I can get like more muscular, but like getting stronger, like there's something about how like what the confidence it gives you yes. and how you feel like, like, again, like I came from being like anorexic and feeling weak, weak all the time, really having the energy, just like get up and go to the bathroom. And like, now I'm like, oh, like, oh, I can develop like this. And like, it, it's a really cool feeling. Like, have you sort of felt a similar way from the, from the sport? As far as like, um, the feeling that strength gives me. Yeah. Yeah, it's very empowering. Especially, um, especially like, especially like as as a woman. Sorry, I guess that, that caveat because again, you're taught to like, you know, just fit in, don't don't take up space, you know. Right, right. As a woman, and technically as a differently abled woman, it has been really um, empowering for me to appreciate my body for what it can do. And and yes, like I appreciate also how it looks, but um, mm -hmm. just being strong is one of the best things I've ever done for myself. Yeah, I, I, love, I love that. So if you have like any, so let's say there's like, you know, like any girls listening to this podcast, they were getting in, in, into, into the sport and they're a little bit nervous about, you know, maybe starting their, their, their journey, you know, maybe, you know, they've had a history of like under eating for most of their life. Like what piece of advice would you maybe give them? Well, I, I can relate because I under ate the first few years of my um, lifting journey. So my advice would be to to eat because you will ceiling yourself if you if you're not eating you're not going to see the results that you want to uh food is your friend it's going to help you get stronger it's going to help you put on the muscle that you need to get stronger and i think you'll be pleasantly surprised by uh, like how good you feel once you start eating enough mm -hmm. Yeah, and I found out for myself, you know, it always gets a little bit scary for me whenever I go into a surplus. But what leases my anxiety is like, oh my god, I'm like really strong, and like I like how I, how I look too. Like, there's the cool thing about powerlifting things outside of fact getting stronger is that you also tend to build a lot of muscle and look good. Yeah. Your muscle looks good. It does look good. It looks amazing. Yeah. So I want to, I guess, like one last thing about your nutrition before we move into like training. Um, when you are like moving up like weight classes and you work with like your with your nutrition coaches on um, how fast have you typically um gained that weight because obviously you know you, like there's other things at, at play here but like how fast would you typically you know gain that weight um i remember early early on i did uh like a bulk and that was i think i want to say that was like when i was going from 123 to 132 that i did not handle well because i was just like eating everything um, now I prefer uh, a little bit of a slower pace, like maybe, uh, maybe a few pounds a month, um, anything over that. And I start to get a little bit uncomfortable and it's not necessarily, um, I'm not necessarily getting the tissue that I want to. It's usually like fat tissue instead of lean muscle. So I, I kind of, uh, prefer to gain at a slower rate. Somewhere I like, you know, like, like, I don't know, like women, like you guys are just like, you don't weigh as much, like you still like, like, well, like 1% like per month around that. It, it, if that's what like four or five pounds a month would be, then yes. 
Oh no, that's like two percent. So 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 you so you so you definitely do gain a little bit faster then. Yeah. 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 It's like okay, cool. No, I I think that that's helpful. It's like like that's the thing is like you probably again like for you like everybody has like different like genetics and like partitioning potentials and like you have good genetics clearly. So you know you and you train with a lot of volume. Um, yes. I, I'm assuming so like you can get away with like a larger surplus than you know if you're not you know you're more natural you're not doing that much much volume you're not sleeping well like we have, you, have, you have everything like teed off and like that's one of the things about like all these guidelines are just guidelines and hidden like the individual like what their context is if somebody's not sleeping they shouldn't even worry about changing their body composition it's not right. going to happen <laughs> right like, like take care of the essentials first yeah mm-hmm Okay, so going a little bit into your training, you just sort of mentioned that a little bit there. So um, how often do you train per week? Um, how specific is your training to the big three? How many variations do you use? Um, and then how has that training changed over time as you've progressed? Right now, I am in the gym training four days a week. I have a primary squat day. I have secondary bench day, deadlift day with a secondary squat movement and main bench yeah i forget the rest of what you asked about uh, my so uh, like how much that's like specific, like how much volume do you like do on like 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 the big three or like versus like accessory focus because there's sort of two camps of like training is like really specific volume mm-hmm. um to like the big, big three not many accessories and but like some people do like less volume on the big three or more accessories um I feel like I'm somewhere in the middle because uh, like I can handle a decent amount of squat volume. And then I have accessories like on all four of my training days. Those accessories are focused on bringing up like any perceived weak areas in my lifts and or body. So um, right now I'm like 18 weeks out from competing. I'm in a slightly higher volume phase and I, I'll probably be here for at least another six weeks before we start uh, official meat prep. Um, once I'm in meat preps, what sometimes works for me, um, at least historically is we will undulate my squat and deadlift because I have difficulty recovering if I have a heavy squat and a heavy deadlift in the same week. So yeah, meat prep will be like one week might be a lighter squat, heavier deadlift, and then vice versa the following week. I do that with a lot of my lifters who have like more like axial fatigue problems, um, Mm -hmm. Like you get really beat up on on that, and so like I think that's awesome. Like you know, there's so many different ways to sort of program around that thing. On like, is you're probably really sensitive to intensity on both on both of those. Yes, yes, I am. Yeah, so um, that's something to you know keep in mind with people. It's like, hey, if you're noticing, I if I do a heavy squat, if that's my dead, my deadlift, maybe an approach like that could be really helpful. Um, and then I like how you mentioned like variations, like they have a purpose. Like you're trying to bring up like a perceived um, weak point. And so mm-hmm. when we're doing, when you're, when you're doing like a variation or like an accessory, um, how do you sort of target like, or know like what weaknesses that, that you have and then know like what exercises to incorporate? That's a good question. So right now, um, like with my squat, we kind of figured out that my, um, like my positioning in the hole and like coming up out of the hole was weak. So one of my squat movements, this block is high bar one and a half, one and a half squats to help me build that area of weakness. 
um, it seems like it kind of changes. Like, so we're always kind of taking feedback from each block and like, okay, this, this moved well, but maybe we need to address uh, the lack of stability on bench. Cause that's, that's actually been a big um, issue for me for probably all of, I would say all of like the time that I've been lifting um, since I have kind of like limb discrepancies between my left and right arm, it's really hard for me or it has been hard for me um, to maintain stability like through my mid to upper back. So that's something we are always like focusing on. Mm -hmm. So more so it's just like, you know, your sort of you look at how you're moving with like your videos and like how like lift feels and then like right. sort of like you you kind of like guess and check the whole way to like, try like this variation yeah. and, and and that'll help out. Um, I, I think that that's, that's a great point because one of the things I sort of learned is that for myself, there's like certain variations like really, really help me. Um, mm -hmm. Like, for example, I am a really, I don't find bench press too hard to get the technique down. I don't find that up. like I, those have all been very intuitive movement, movement, movement patterns for me. Um, but squats, I am stupid. Like I just, I forget how to squat. I, it feels uncomfortable. I never like it. I'm like, this is a stupid exercise. Like, even if it's just like the same like weight, like even if it's like really light, it still feels heavy. It's just of how I'm built. Um, yeah. And I found that for myself, like we like we've experimented with so many things. And um, if I keep if I kick out pause squats, like I get I become a way worse squatter. My my maxes like actually go down. Yeah. Um, because I'm not able to like maintain that good positioning. And so one of the things that I've noticed with a lot of my lifters is that like the better built you are for lift, like the more specific you probably can be with it and get more benefits. And I think that's why we see a lot of the times like the top level power lifters, like especially like the, the IPF, lots of the training is just spot bench and deadlift. But yeah. I think that's a really poor example for most people because most people are not by definition that elite level. They're right. they're average. And therefore, more variations should be used in training, and that's mm -hmm. why I, I love like hearing this from like you because like, you're an elite level lifter who like, you say, like, "Hey, I have like limb length discrepancies. Like, mm -hmm. I'm not really built really well for like any any lift." And like, you really had to claw for all that progress. And using variations has been like a really big thing because I'm assuming you don't really keep the same things in like that often. It's just like probably look more so as just going into a meet when it's like more specific. Is that correct? Um, somewhat. So you made a good point about kind of like experimenting and finding what works for you. I know that SSB bar, the SSB squat, that is, that's like a, that's always a good accessory for me for both building like my squat and my deadlift. So that's something that I, I have in my program frequently. Um, other than that, yeah, it's kind of like, okay, what, what do we need to address? But I do have like a couple, um, like, either main movements or accessories where I'm like, these are, these can stay in. Mm -hmm. And so when you first started uh, off, off lifting, um, did you follow any sort of program or was it just kind of just like weaning it or like following like free free programs online? When I very first started? Yeah. Okay. So when I joined Anvil Gym in 2013, it was owned by a strongman named Ken McClellan. He was my first coach. So he did my, he did my programming um, from there, I moved on to, I want to say my ex-fiance did my programming next and that worked well. He took a, like a Chad Wesley Smith approach to training. Um, I responded to that for a couple of years and then I started to kind of hit, uh, a plateau. That is when I reached out to Tr Trevor Jaffe was my next coach um and we did very well together he was the one that helped me 
to the 1300 wrap total and then the 1223 sleep total. Um, I'm actually back working with him again. I'm just kind of listing off all the people that I've worked with. Mm -hmm. uh, after, let's see, after Trevor, I went to Chris Bridgeford for a while. Um, after Chris Bridgeford, I went to another coach and that that was the last summer that did not work out at, at all for me. Um, recently, I worked with Matt Domney of Compound Performance. We built a lot of strength together. So I would say I've been most influenced by Matt Domney and Trevor Jaffe as far as my own um, approach to like programming for clients. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a, like I I I actually finally bring out the Chadwick Smith approach. I had um one of my first coaches was like uh, he actually was like an intern with Chadwick Smith and like so like mm -hmm. I was like I did like the, the six by eights on like the high bar squat and like I like you know, I, I, it was freaking brutal training but I got really strong. Yes. Um and then like I just was like oh no I'm just like getting tired now <laughs> just like it's not really like, like like working and I've sort of gone like for that so like I, like I block created presentation to like a more of a DUP setup setup mm -hmm. um which I'm assuming it's more of like what we, we are doing as well um what's so like uh, in regards to like choosing and choosing a coach then because you you tried a lot of different coaches like and so clearly you have a little more experience with this, with this um what would you say is the most important things like to look for when selecting a coach. Ooh, uh, yeah. I mean, it, I it, could, like, it, could, I, it could literally only be like four for like you because like, but like, you know. Just... I feel like I've learned a lot of like what to do and what not to do. Uh, coaches that are good with communication, timely with programs, those are those are my big two. If I have to remind you to give me my program, it's not going to work out. Uh, and I would say your coach should they don't necessarily need to be like a constant cheerleader for you, but they, they should help boost your confidence, but also hold you kind of accountable when maybe you're not following the plan. Yeah. Um, I, I would, I have a very, very similar like checklist for, for me too. Like for me, it's the number one is like good, good, good communication. And they're like going to like collaborate with me on programming is like, I yeah, know a lot a about one. it. Um, yeah. because I, and that's one of the things I always tell like my, like my clients is I'm like, Hey, like, I know a lot, but like you're the one doing the training. You're the one that knows like how it feels for for, for you. Like, you know, I need to know certain things. Like for example, one of my clients is like, oh, I always feel pretty fresh on squat, just like week. I'm like, okay, well, we're already doing two days a week. We're already doing, you know, four or five sets on both those days. We probably need a third day. Mm -hmm. Um, but like he never told me that until like just as like like this last check-in. Um, and so like that's been a big thing for me, especially because it's like like especially like the more advanced the lifter is they have more data about themselves like you can yeah. that's really how you find like the best training approaches and at the high level i think that's how most programs were created between between coaches mm -hmm. it's more collaborative than it is just like coach says do do this and i right. do that yeah, um, yeah because one of the big changes i made with my programming was i just told my coach i'm like dude i always feel like pretty beat up in my like my back the i'm deadlifting and mm -hmm. so i was like i have a feeling if we move it to like i was how my split used to be is like second secondary squats um and then i would do my primary deadlifts the day after but i was always just feel like pretty pretty wrecked um yes and then yeah i remember i yeah <laughs> for some of my lifters like they feel really good doing them like that it's weird but um i was like hey let's move this around to like wednesday and mm -hmm. then i realized when i switched to conventional because that was a better lift for me um i trained both of them but conventional is my, my primary one now um i couldn't do my primary squats on like a friday because like my back could just be really really messed up and move that yeah. to like a Monday and like 
it's like, I think that's the main thing that changes is for me personally with my training as I, over time with more advanced people is it tends to be like more just like how you manage that fatigue because you're so much stronger. Yep. That's a huge, that's been a huge factor. Like for me over the last couple of years is managing fatigue. Mm -hmm. What are some strategies that you've, you've done to help out with that? Move some of my training days around. So, uh, Probably the best thing that Chris Bridgeford did for me was, uh, okay, so my my training week used to be squat, main bench, deadlift, secondary bench. Without asking me if he could, he moved my bench days around. So now it's squat, secondary bench, which was a game changer for me because especially meat prep, I get really beat up through my upper body um, just because I struggle with like external rotation. Yeah. When I'm in low bar, that puts a lot of compression like through my biceps, um, which also then irritate my elbows. So having just that switch helped a lot because secondary bench day is now not as painful. And then I'm more recovered for main bench day, like five days later. Yeah. I think understanding those fatigue patterns, like it's so funny. It's like, like, so like I follow very much bottom up. Like coaching approach, like sort of like my like the sheer reactive training systems. I'm like the most important thing in my opinion is just that weekly layout. Like that yeah. is the most important thing, especially as you get more advanced. You can always add in like layer in like more volume or more intensity here and there. But like that, knowing knowing how to train um, each lift, where like you're able to feel really really strong and control that a fatigue pattern on like each lift, and like just paying attention to that. And say, well, this is why I don't feel stronger on this lift. Mm -hmm. This is why I don't feel as strong. Like that is super important is you want to be able to take advantage of those of those fatigue patterns because there's a lot of times people say oh you need, you need to do like an spd session i'm like no you don't like it, some people some, some, some people like them but like i've done an spd yeah. session it just it just, it just it like just destroy me and yeah. i i just don't feel good so yeah that's not an approach i would use for myself either i would not do an spd day yeah no but like you know again like for some, for some people like it works you know like a lot of that has also to do with like psychology of the lifter and you know like what do they like some people will get very you know they're very even keel between other 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 the training days and other people it's like they really like they have they do better if they don't like have like a big performance coming up like on like one day and they don't have as much of that psychological dump as and my and my hypothesis like how long people can sort of train for without like a deal i think it's like more psychological than it is physiological i think yeah. lots of times it gets really hard doing that that progressive training and you just kind of beat up and you don't like really want to look because you're getting more tired and your brain sort of gives out like before that, but I think your body can really kind of just keep pushing most yeah. of the time. Yeah. Yeah. So for me with deloads, I have to be pretty regular with them. Um, if I'm in meat prep, they are after every third week of training, uh, off season, I can usually do after every fourth week. So that's something that I've learned about myself is to not really push it beyond that because that's maybe when I start getting into territory of like, Oh, you know what? Now I just tweak my pack. Or like I'm I'm run down and I'm not enjoying myself. So deload is really important. That's actually really interesting because I found a similar thing with, with my coach, especially with like higher intensities. Um, mm -hmm. because how my weeks go, it's like I do like you know higher volume weeks one through one through three. Then I'm on my highest intensity, we sort of do like a taper with like with like the volume, and yeah. like that actually works a lot better for me than if we have like a lower volume and a lower intensity week because that actually like detrains me. For like the rest of, of, the, of the block and so it's always really really interesting but deals are definitely something that if, if you're not doing deloads or you're not structuring in those phases like do that then like you know you're going to feel a lot lot better like 
one of my lifters, um, like he was like, I just all the time people like, oh, I have some like overuse injuries, like my elbow. I'm like, let's do a different week of training then. Like we're not doing like the same movement patterns. And they come back yeah. like, I feel so strong and like I'm I'm fine again. Um, <laughs> so it's always always good to do that. So I guess just to wrap up some some rapid fire more fun fun questions. So Chloe, what is your favorite food? Uh, pizza. Pizza. Okay. Um, wood what fire. is your favorite? Wood, wood fire. Okay. Yeah. Like what toppings? Uh. And like pepperoni or like the fancy salami cool if you um could be an animal what would you be Ooh, i'm gonna go with lion lion why the, that was my favorite animal when i was a child and i also had i like adored lion king oh very nice um if you could um travel anywhere in the world where would you go back to paris i've been there twice and i would go again awesome uh, if you, so what's your favorite lift of the, of the, the big three? Favorite lift? Ooh, right now, deadlift. Biggest pet peeve? Mm, people that do not have the ability to self-reflect. That, that's me too. Um, I guess <laughs> last one. Um, oh, that's a good one. Uh, if you could travel back in time to any era, where would you go to? uh is it the famous or, like, or, like, or meet like one famous person i'm gonna go with going back to the i think the 50s is when they had a poodle skirt right like yes. that was <laughs> such like what was that time frame of fashion it was just so specific um so it'd just be cool to go back and experience that yeah and if you could like meet one famous person who would you meet one famous person oh I don't know if I have an answer to that one. I really, I really don't think that I do. What about yeah, you? What would yours be? If I was to meet one famous from this person, um, that in <laughs> that's a strong. tough question. And all that's like I didn't realize how hard a question I just, I did just, just, just ask. Um, I'm trying to think of like influential people. Um, so I'm, like a really, some... I'm, I'm a really like music is really like important to me. I would probably meet like, probably like, what's his name? Uh, like somebody like Beethoven or something like that. Just to like yeah. understand like, like what, like, you know, like kind of got like their brains ticking or like more like currently like you, like you two, like I would love to meet like that, mm -hmm. that, that, that band. Um, so, wow, that was a really hard question to end off on. I, I feel like really, really but bad about that. No, it's okay because I feel like as soon as we end this, I'm gonna be like, oh, you know what? I have an answer. Uh, to no, that. now I know it's like actually this <laughs> this guy. Um, I guess okay. Like the last one. This is this is a good one. And on, on, do aliens exist? I think so. I think so. I think so too. Yeah. If you feel that, I believe I in. I, I like to believe in woo woo stuff. So yeah, yeah. Just... I think woo woo stuff is very real. <laughs> mm -hmm. So awesome, Chloe. Thank you so much for uh, coming on. It's been awesome to to, to talk to you on. If people want to follow you, maybe hire you for, for, for coaching, um, where should they go? My Instagram is at clo, C-H-L-O dot May, M-A-E dot L. And they can reach out there. Awesome. So I'll include that information in the show notes. And I thank you guys so much for listening to the Adam Fear Peter Fitz podcast. I'll talk to you guys in the next episode. Bye. Thank you.